Hello and welcome back. I'm Jane. I'm Tarzan. And this week we're going to have, well, attempt to uh, discussing the gender pay gap and the broader sense the financial implications of being a woman in the UK today. Okay, I'm mostly going to be asking questions because I am not at all versed in any of the theory here. However, I do think that the law in the UK prohibits anybody from being discriminated against on their gender or religion or race or any of that stuff. And so I would presume in place already to make sure that equality is in place when it comes to things like pay. But I, again, I don't know anything about the argument. Yeah, so I think it was in the 1970s that the Equal Pay Act came into place. Uh, however, it took very, very little uh, research on my part to realise that that unfortunately just isn't the case. Um, something which is positive is it does look like the pay gap between men and women does seem to be decreasing. However, last year in 2020, the pay cap was 15.5%, which, although, like I said, is an improvement, I think it's definitely a number which is still worthy of dissecting. Okay, so are you saying, and again, purely curious, mm-hmm. on average, men earn 15% more than women? Yeah, 15.5%. I believe those statistics are looking at average hourly pay. Okay, so are we looking at like a minimum wage job or are we looking at something more specialist? It's going across the board, is my understanding. Okay, so we're looking at lots of different people with lots of different occupations being paid different rates and comparing them in some sort of measured scale that apparently can balance all that up. Yeah, I'm not going to pretend that I understand either. All, all I can say is that the statistics I got from the UK government website I wasn't even going to start looking at other places across the world because just where would you even start? But these are from the UK government website that, and uh, this is based on a study that was published last year. Okay, jokes. Now, I don't know much about much. However, I can just pick three people I can think of just now who happen to be women. Yeah. We have Queen Elizabeth, we have Oprah Winfrey, and there's some sort of big mogul down in Australia that owns some sort of mining industry. These are three incredibly powerful and rich women. Yeah. Should I get half their stuff? No. Right, okay, so we do agree that when you work, you earn. Yeah, completely. And you keep it. Yeah, and I think this is why it makes such for an interesting conversation, because on the surface, you might just go, oh, so a company's just straight off the bat going, oh, you're a man, you get paid this, <laughs> you're a woman, you're getting paid that. And it is so, so, so much more than that. Um, more than three out of four UK companies pay their male staff more than their female staff. And one of the main reasons for this pay gap is there are significantly more men in senior roles than women. And I think that's actually one of the main issues that's worth exploring. Okay, so we've got men, and again, I've got a whole bunch of reasons why I would say men would go and take the risk. But we've got men in more senior positions, therefore getting paid more on average than women. Yeah, but fun fact for you, apparently there are more CEOs in the world called John than there are CEOs that are women altogether. Right, so there's more guys called John who are CEOs than the combined amount of women who Appar- are CEOs. Apparently so. That's an interesting fact. Thank you, I oh, think you'd enjoy that the one. The name John's not a very interesting one, sorry <laughs> to all Johns out there, but uh, yeah, I mean if it was like a Fabician. But I'm probably sure there's more guys called Fabician in CEO <laughs> roles than there are women in total. I really wouldn't be surprised. And so I think what we need to explore here is the reason for that, because obviously if it was just a case of men 
wanting seniors and women not wanting seniors, like you said, you're getting paid for the work you do mm-hmm. and what you deserve. And well, unfortunately, that's not always the case, but at least that's how it should be. So what I want to explore is why there are just so many more men in senior positions than women. Um, and I think it's interesting from a number of angles. So, for example, uh, it's been shown that it is way, way, way harder for men to ask to move to part-time work compared to women. And so I think that's also quite interesting in that it's not just feminism here, at, well, sorry, sexism here at play, but also a version of, I know you don't like it, but toxic masculinity, the fact that according to the studies I was reading and the antidotes and so on, um, many men were saying they still find themselves feeling that they should be the breadwinner, they feel responsible, they feel like they should be the one to be in the more senior role, and they would find it way harder than a woman to ask for part-time hours. Wow, again, that's a very sweeping generalisation. All I can talk about is my observations with regards to men and women and going into the seniority roles. I generally find women will go into the seniority role whenever they've got it nailed and they understand exactly what the job will expect of them, what they can bring to the job and what their short-term and medium-term aspirations for that role will be. Men just see more money and put their neck forward. I'm not saying that's in every case. Of course you get experts and you get real good people, but I'd say the risk-taking aspect of being a man puts people who don't necessarily know what they're doing into roles where they're required to know what they're doing. Again, not across the entire board, but there's been observations I have made. Whereas I can't say I've seen many women put themselves forward without being able to be fully capable of doing the job that they claim to be able to do. Are you saying that maybe women are less willing to take a risk? Would that be...? Well, I'm not saying it's not taking a risk. I'm saying a woman would rather be absolutely assured mm-hmm. of her ability and when she claims she can do something, for the most part, they can do it. Whereas a man might say, fake it till you make it, mm-hmm. and uh, hope to learn on the job, which can be destructive, but at the same time, that's the risk, and the reward from that risk can be large. Yeah, I think there's uh, definitely a thing amongst women that we have to work twice as hard to get half as far as men in the workplace. Um, I've heard this with my friendship groups many a time and the other joke is oh how lovely it would be to work uh, to walk through life with all the confidence of a straight white man and so I think maybe that being so self-assured and like you said fake it to make it this was an angle I hadn't thought of I think definitely is part of it and that's a really interesting observation. Again it doesn't go for every single person whenever I go to see a doctor regardless of what gender they are or what colour or height or any of that I'm going to trust that they're a doctor and they know what they're talking about they've been certified They've been approved, hopefully they're in some sort of chartership. Mm. I'm hoping that this person knows what they're talking about. But that isn't always the case when you meet somebody within a professional environment. You don't always know. Yeah, of course, and I think we both know that when we talk about all these explorations, they are based on thoughts and generalisations that are not always going to be true. But I think the important part is to recognise they are grounded in statistics, which therefore are worthy of us trying to dissect it as a society and see where we're going wrong, because we are definitely going wrong if that pay gap exists. And even if I'm completely and utterly incorrect, I've got no problem with somebody commenting or doing whatever to correct me. I'm not looking to be right here, I'm looking to just ask. Mm. And so I would like to know this pay gap of 15.5%, within the UK at least, how do you think that's uh, established? Why I think it exists. Why would somebody do the same job as someone else and accept 15.5% less 
So I do think the main reason is down to the huge difference in the number of women working in senior roles compared to men. And I think especially in this day and age, we're so expected in senior, not we, people are so expected in senior roles to be on all the time due to technology. You hear phrases like, you need to be available at every hour, no part-time, you know, part-time, definitely not, this is a full-time position. And something which I think is really interesting, uh, lately due to COVID, everyone's had to be way more flexible mm-hmm. with work, and it shows that it can be done. And I do think employers use this, these arguments as a way it takes completely the pressure off them because they're not doing anything wrong by saying, no, this, is the, this particular position you know, isn't suitable for someone who needs to work flexible hours, part-time. I'm not saying that all women need to do that. I'm just saying oh, mm-hmm. quite often women do. And, you know, that's completely not possible. And, there's, and whether or not it's conscious bias or unconscious bias, they are often believing that men are going to be more available and the job is going to be more of a priority to men than women. Hmm, that's an interesting take. So, I mean, believe me, I've got lots of women friends, and uh, many, many, many of them are career-focused, and I would say they're more focused on their own job than uh, most of the male counterparts, not all of them. And I've got other women friends who are more stay-at-home focused, and they're quite happy to be looked after by their uh, male, usually, significant other. Uh, That doesn't make them any less of a person or any less of a hard part of the relationship, but they decide that they'll just take up an income, they'll look after a household and take the pressures off the person who's bringing the income in. But I've got to say, the women I know, both mothers and not, who focus on their careers are absolutely brilliant at what they do, for the best part. And again, most of the men I know as well, very hard working and all the rest. But I do think there's a blasey attitude that comes with being a male, where you don't have to work as hard or try as hard, or perhaps women maybe overdo it and try to work harder in order to achieve some sort of balance which men just take for granted. Yeah, I think women definitely feel the need to prove themselves, and I think this is particularly in the workplace. But I think, yeah, generally women do definitely feel the need to prove themselves more than men. Hmm. I mean, I've had many uh, women bosses in my time, and for the best part, they've always been more than competent and, if anything, probably easier to talk to than uh, their male counterparts. Whereas I've still got no problem talking to a man, but when you talk to a man about, can I have this, you'll get a yes or no. And that can be very nice and useful, right? It's nice and quick and logical. Whereas maybe when you ask a woman boss, she might have a different, to my mind at least, way of looking at it and might ask why. And whilst that's not a direct answer, sometimes exploring why is actually useful and you actually get more from it. And so I do think sometimes the social dynamic of women and men uh, can feed off each other in a, a beneficial state and also not so beneficial state in the other direction. Yeah, I think definitely from my experience, um, the workplace that I've enjoyed the most, it has been a mixture of men and women, and I tend to work, and I work in quite a women-heavy area, and I know uh, often it's praised, or (laughs) not necessarily having, I want to say, having men join our team, but definitely the balance is appreciated, because like you said, it definitely does mean that there's a wider way of looking at 
challenges, problems, you know, not solutions. Different. Exactly. Mm. It's just having different takes on some things. Okay, so just a quick roundup on this one to go into uh, women in business. Mm. Uh, I've been heavily involved in business for a number of years, and I've noticed a lot of support networks for women in business. Mm-hmm. Lots of funds, lots of groups, lots of networking events. You don't get them for men. So if women are having all this extra ability to succeed, an opportunity to take advantage of that, where's the men? Where's the boys club that I keep hearing about? What's this patriarchal thing that's making my life so much easier? <laughs> and I'm just curious. Like, yeah, no, I think it's... Um, I think women are definitely happy to be vulnerable to more okay with reaching out for help, like it's not considered a weakness. I think this is another great example of toxic masculinity in that, and again, this is sweeping generalizations, but I can't think of many men who would feel able to be like, actually, you know what, like, business is hard. Like, I would really appreciate, Some help. you know, or just, you know, bouncing ideas off people, or even, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't even need to be finding solutions sometimes, it's just talking to someone else in the same position who understands, and most women don't have a problem with that. Like, we're quite happy to make ourselves vulnerable. We're, I think, you know, we're very sociable creatures. We, you know, automatically enjoy talking things out and through. And obviously, everyone's different and going to deal with things in different ways. But I do think that's part of the reason why that, that maybe additional support networks um, exist for women and don't exist for men. And men are shooting themselves in the foot with their own toxic masculinity. I think so. And then with the whole boys club idea, I think it's, you know, so I think it's when they often try to, maybe not even consciously try to, but some put women in positions that they either feel left out or that it's very laddish of want of a better word. Um, you know, it's like, I don't work in business, so I feel right now I'm kind of struggling to talk about this. But from the conversations I have had with friends who do work in businesses, you know, it's things like, you know, going to, which I think is happening less and less now, but going to strip clubs or going for a game of, let's say, something like golf. I'm, um, like overly stereotyping the whole, you know, let's all go, you know, lads, lads, lads. Well, I uh, see, I'm not really going to be against you with the lads, lads, because I mean, I was going to try and bring some of... Okay, let's see how we chop this up later, okay? Okay. Okay, well, Jane, I happen to find you to be a very observant, uh, fairly logical thinker. uh, I try. Even though you're a woman. And uh, I would ask that you maybe bring some uh, observations you've seen towards me and the male friends that I've had uh, been with in your company. Now, you know, some of them are lads, lads, men who like football, and that's all mm-hmm. they talk about. Some are uh, vagabonds who can only think about having sex or talking mm-hmm. about sex. And some have been reasonable people who are uh, more philosophical or theistic. And you've seen me interact with each of these different mm-hmm. men, and you've seen me interact with a whole bunch of different women. Yes. How, and again, from my ego or anything, how would you say how I interact between the different men is and how I interact between different women that you've observed? Is. Yeah, so I think you definitely change your interactions based on whoever you're talking to, and I think that's true of everybody. But you, I think, definitely with the the men that maybe just comes maybe being a bit more laddish or blokish, I think then you automatically become more laddish mm-hmm. and blokish 
and would start talking about the football. I'll use camouflage. Um, yeah, exactly. And we all as humans do that to an extent. I know I definitely do. You're going to it kind of shows certain sides of your personality based on who you're with. And obviously you're going to let people who you're more comfortable with see certain sides of you that other people are never going to get to see. Mm -hmm. But I think it's important to realize it's a lot harder for women to join, not impossible by any means, and some you know, women obviously genuinely love sport and you know, share the same you know, hobbies and activities, but of course, and that works both ways. But it is way harder for me to fit into a situation which is, of want of a better term, blokish, talking about the football, than you. Right, even though it's difficult for me also, I've got enough basic vernacular to keep myself afloat, whereas you'd probably be awash and burning. And, and I think as well, like just using an example of the two of us, let's say that you like football as much as I do, or even that, let's say I, which I'm not, uh, a huge football fan and you have absolutely no regard for it. I can imagine though, you would be the one that would be invited to the pub to watch the football, just because of stereotyping. From my experiences, yes. And I may be looked over. Oh, you'd be welcome, but you wouldn't be invited for your passions. And I think maybe often dismissed. Not even like I said, it doesn't even have to be this awful stereotyping and prejudice that I often talk about. It can be this unconscious bias, presuming that it's more likely that you'd enjoy going to the pub with them to watch the football than I would. And on the flip side. I happen to know you and some friends of ours go to a salon. I've never yet once been invited. No. Because you told me you do not like being touched. Oh. I'm not going to let this, because I would definitely invite him. I'm not going to let this go, because he would definitely be invited for nail salon. But I know he does not like being touched. This is not... That's true, that's true. But I have never been invited. Now, thank you for taking into consideration external yeah. knowledge that you are aware of that the exactly. viewer here isn't aware of. However, yes... So when we take these things into account as a society, we've got men being blockish, not all of them. We've got women being girly, silence and stuff, not all of them. We've got a big mixture of everybody in the middle. And then, of course, we've got everything else, left-handed, gender, appreciation, sexuality, culture, creeds, religion. It's all a big mixed wash. But you tell me, from all of that, 15.5% percent extra is what a man earns on average when compared to a woman. Yes, of 2020, I believe in 2019, it was 17.5%. So like I said, it's gradually... It's coming deep, down, but it's still it's quite a big I think margin. It's significant. Yeah, yeah. So, let's say someone's working at a fast food chain. Mm -hmm. I'm going to guess that the male employees of the same position as the female employees will get the same cash. Yeah, I'm guessing they've got a pay scale and you literally get put on it. Otherwise, lawyers will be involved and people Precisely. will be sued. And so we're really looking at people going for jobs that pay better. 15.5% of men, apparently, find jobs that pay better than all of the rest of the women. Yeah, I think still as a society, we still consider certain jobs as being more feminine and some as being more masculine. And unfortunately, many occupations that are traditionally regarded as feminine are likely to be more poorly paid. And obviously this isn't... Okay, well let me be I'm an absolute brute here. I'm going to say, position of librarian, and don't get me wrong, I've got male librarian friends, mm -hmm. but yes, in my little fetish kink, 
I see a librarian as being a young woman with glasses, red lipstick, and a bit bookish. Now, I know that's absolutely nonsense because I've got lots of librarian friends, but that's the typical stereotype that we ascribe. Are you telling me that a librarian, which I happen to know is a very complicated job because I have friends who are librarians, are you telling me they get paid substantially less than, let's say, someone who builds walls? No, what I'm saying is that the example, a key example that I was reading about was, let's say you want to pursue a career in medicine, mm -hmm. women are more likely to pursue a role of being a nurse, which is obviously an incredible choice, nice. and, yeah, rather than maybe being a surgeon, and equally on the flip side, men are more likely to be maybe a bit dismissive of the role of being a nurse, uh, seeing it as a feminine role, and are more likely to look for roles as doctors and surgeons. And a really interesting study was done by the author of Everyday Sexism where she went into schools, and it was schools across the UK, um, from all different areas, and she had children draw, I think it was a doctor, um, I can't remember the other jobs, but the senior roles in mm -hmm. society that are well considered and well paid. And consistently, the vast, vast, vast majority of children of both genders were drawing them as male, which shows the importance of representation. And already, I mean, some of these children, I think, were, I think as young as like five, and they're already forming the idea that, oh, to be someone that's successful and high up, you're male. Okay, coming at it from, again, actual observations from my own life experience. I have at least two previous girlfriends who are surgeons. I have many other women friends who are doctors. And I have many male and female friends who are nurses. I think this uh, apparent uh, stereotype might be from an older kind of 1950s era rather than anything in the past 30 to 40 years. Because I do think things have shifted massively. And I think if we really look at the figures of who's coming out of medical school these days, what gender they are, what sexuality they have, how tall they are, all the other demographics, mm. I think you'll see that it's a much more even blend today than there was, I'd say, you have to go back around 40 years to try and see this disparity. Now that doesn't affect the, the pay. I believe the figures you've got are 15.5% and that's what we're going to explore. But I do think if you look at who's coming out of university these days, you're going to see much more women, possibly even a majority of people who are getting qualifications, particularly within the sciences, are female. And again, some people are going to complain about that, it's positive discrimination of lower dental level, all that sexist stuff, which I do believe is terrible. I think women are perfectly capable and empowered, and that's the type of feminism I support. I don't think that's necessarily what everyone sees as being feminist. I really hope you're right, and of course women are capable, and hopefully many, many women are feeling empowered. But I think uh, probably the statistics are unfortunately not as nice as what you would hope they would be. I mean, there definitely are cases where they are. Like, I know that about 48% of um, doctors are women, which is, I think, a pretty, it's close enough to, for everyone to be comfortable with. But, for example, only 6.5% of UK surgeons are women. And for that to be such a tiny percentage, I think that's worthy of breaking down and looking at why that is. 
And of course, we want to be working towards between both the green uh, pay equality for all. So, how long do you think that's likely to take? How would you say that we could work towards reaching that? Very, very good question. <clears throat> I'm going to have to consider. I had no idea that only six percent of surgeons were women. Six and a half. Six yeah. and a half. That, In the UK, that half percent is very important as well. Uh, I had no, I had never contemplated. I thought it'd be higher, but yes, I still thought it'd be a male-dominated role, and that's to do with, uh, I suppose, some sort of inherent sexism within me. And until that's killed off, uh, I think we're going to have to wait at least that long before we can see anything close to proper equality of the pay scale. So, I don't know. When I die, <laughs> it should be a starting point. Uh, I'd like to see it sooner, of course. Uh, but yeah, I'm very curious as to why only 6.5% of surgeons in the UK are women, when clearly it's a very specialist job, but it requires using your hands and having knowledge, which both men and women have. But yeah, with regards to the pay, I'd like to see it be, sooner than when I die, I'd like to be leaving this place a little bit better than I found it. But I've got to say already, I think it's already been better than I found it. So let's hope we go in that direction. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it's already, the pay gap has, seems to be gradually decreasing, and obviously we hope that it continues in that way, um, and I think it's interesting to look at ways that we could possibly address that, like is the, we talked about risk-taking, uh, are there going to be ways to help women become more confident and, and maybe more willing to take a risk? I think we definitely need to hold employers a lot more responsible to create more flexible working environments, especially as that's now been proven completely possible with some imagination and a lot of collaboration by flexible working during COVID. Um, and I think we definitely need to continue to, to dismantle the still traditionally held views about what makes up masculine and feminine jobs. Okay, here's a quick... Uh Quick question, just to see for fun. Do you think we should introduce mandatory service, military service, for all citizens, where they have to go on the front line and do, of course, terrible jobs of being killers, but equal male, female, and that would, I think, this goes back to the risk-taking aspect, mm -hmm. if men and women were equally as risk-taking, then you should hopefully see 50-50 being the survivor rate rather than, let's say, 60-40 or anything other. And I don't know who would be the, the better survivor there, but the male attribute seems to be warrior uh, from my way back before. Do you think uh, women would be made to be mandatory soldiers and make them take more risks? I know it's just for fun. This isn't a serious... Yeah, I know. I'm pondering it. It's an interesting question. Um, just, I think it's something I wouldn't wish on anybody. Of course not, I wouldn't wish either. <laughs> whatever your gender is. Um, I mean, we spoke about before, obviously, when we talk about feminism and sexism, the phrase I kept on using last week was looking for equality, not sameness, and I think it is important to recognise in massive generalisations, mm -hmm. men are, tend to be genetically taller, stronger, um, which then there's definitely arguments to be made for they would make better soldiers because those are quality attributes. attributes you know. However, there's of course many attributes that 
are traditionally more feminine that I think could also make women the better soldiers. Um, well, let's be fair, uh, army marches on its stomach, and I'm not sure about you, but my mother, and certainly my grandmother, fed us. Now, don't get me wrong, my father was a chef when I was younger, but he didn't make the food in the house. And I'm sure mothers have got some sort of instinct where they wish to make sure that their offspring are well uh, vested. That's probably why we've got mammary glands. Uh, so yes, um, army marches in its stomach, and so feed, feeding them, number one. Two, uh, strategies and tactics, purely theoretical. I can't see why women couldn't come up with the better ideas to overcome whoever the enemy might be. But yes, when it's all said and done, the person that goes on the front line and has a chance of not coming back generally tends to be men. And I'm not saying this is right or wrong, but maybe that's part of the risk-taking aspect of being a male, which might account for this 15.5%. Again, I'd like to see absolutely beneficial... I'm mean, sure we've got laws in place to make that the case. So is the risk-taking something that men do? Or is the safety mechanism the easier... Not easier. Now, that's absolutely terrible of me to say, so I apologise. The safer option of job security and certainty with that, is that more of a female attribute? And again, I know you can't speak for all women, but yeah, it's a question. No, I think risk-taking is definitely part of it. Um, but I do think something which is really interesting is the pay gap dramatically increases after childbirth. Mm. Um, and I think that definitely leads to often women having to take on part-time work mm -hmm. um, due to childcare. And there's therefore what seems to be an assumption that part-time roles are naturally less senior and so automatically downgraded. There seems to be um, less room for progression. Um, and I think what's really dangerous about that is positioning part-time work as a woman's choice. Not only suggests that women are responsible for the lower earnings, but it takes the pressure off the employer to do anything about it. I can't say I disagree with you on that. However, I do have something to add to it, which would be that uh, childcare is very, very expensive. <laughs> and the people who care for the children get minimum wage. And so you're just looking at a massive profit going for the organisation that runs it. And so if, let's say we're looking at something along the lines of £25 an hour, I believe, which is more than most people make in an hour. And sure, there's certain subsidies that taxpayer takes into account within the UK that help out with a part of that cost. But you're looking at an unskilled, usually, low-level worker on minimum wage, looking after someone's child, someone who's working's child, and the organisation that arranges all of that makes a huge profit. And again, not to be stereotypical here, generally run by women. So are women women's own worst enemies with regards to things like that? I don't think so. I think at the end of the day, these are people setting up businesses. There's a lot of costs that we don't consider. I've really liked, I'm sure there are plenty of nurseries um, and childcare providers who are going, how, you know, how can I increase my profits without any care to you know, the people behind it as long as they're getting as much money as possible. Profit, because yeah. I think that's always going to be um, the case. But I mean, there's plenty of state-run nurseries that are, you know, aren't being treated as a business. And like you said before, childcare costs 
um, from at least what I've heard from my friends complaining, I've mm -hmm. had a direct experience, seem to be astronomical mm -hmm. to the point that I've had fellow colleagues going, I will be work, like it doesn't make sense for me to go back to work because I will li my job will literally pay solely for childcare, mm -hmm. which therefore makes no sense. Um, I think something that's it does need more exploring is that research has shown that over half of young fathers would take a pay cut to work less and spend more time with their family, which might allow some room, you know, things like job shares um, and allowing things like maybe for the mother to work full time or at least maybe work a little bit less and the father work a little bit less, but find it a lot harder to work part, um, to ask for part-time work and I think if we were able to as a, as a society challenge that a lot more I think that would be a really big step forward. Well I certainly do think there's plenty of uh, room to explore what it is to be a man and I'm hoping we can do that in future podcasts uh, and I'm not saying that's making men better or worse or any of that stuff but I do think there's a lot of room for a feminism helping what it is to be a man. I'm not going to call it meninism because that's just silly. I think that definitely sounds like a great topic for a future podcast. Well, I, I don't think it would be a topic. I think maybe a selection of topics, which of course will run past you first, Jane. But I do think there's aspects of uh, being masculine where you call it toxic. I'm not sure I agree. But I do think there is toxic masculinity. But I think some parts of it are just being a man. And... Uh, <clears throat> Uh, I'd like to finish on a note, if that's okay, because again, I know we're not going anywhere, but I am very thankful to understand that there's a 15.5% government survey to say the difference between men and women pay, and that's completely and utterly wrong. That's like walking about not being taxed as one possible. Not all parts of that gender, but some parts of that gender just getting a free ride. But a quick way to uh, pull this back, I'm not sure what your political leanings are with regards to the UK, and I'm not going to share mine. But to pick two Prime Ministers who happen to have been in the same party, Margaret Thatcher and Boris Johnson, which would you say has been the better Prime Minister, even though they've both made many, many difficulties and mistakes? Which would you say was best? I hope that's a rhetorical question. Uh, I'd really, really like an answer because I'm just... And so that'll be our opener for next, next time. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sit on that one. That's a But once I'm lost for words, first time for anything. Okay, well, again, Jane, thank you very much, and I look forward to our next conversation. You too. And outro music. <laughs>